All right, Mace, it's good to see you again from a little bit closer up than earlier. Okay, pre-K through first graders, I know we haven't been through this routine lately, but you guys are able to go to Elevate to, uh, to Kids Church this morning. I want you to be super respectful to Miss Courtney and Miss Marva. They get to have you guys for a few extra minutes this morning, uh, so more time for you guys to have, have fun, more time for us to pray for them, uh, but you guys go toward the light. If you are a visitor, a guest with us, and you have a pre-K through first grader, and they would like to go to children's church, they can go right, they're going to ride around the corner into a side room here. They're always welcome to stay with you. Uh, they can stay here. If you need to step out at some point, that's perfectly fine into the lobby. There's no problem with that, but... If they would enjoy going to something like this, it's a great opportunity. Um, and there appear to be a couple going. So uh, the real heroes in church are the, uh, the preschool volunteers and preschool workers. So, okay. Here's what I'd want us to do for just, a, for just a couple of minutes. Hopefully as you came in, you received a packet like this that's either blue if you are seventh grade and older or green if you are first through sixth grade. Uh, you may have to look around and find a pen. If there's not a pen in front of you, there may be an empty seat or empty row off to the side. You want a pen, you may have one in your purse already, I'm not sure, but you, you want to have that. This may not feel, I realize up front, this may not feel like an act of worship. You might be tempted to roll your eyes at me and say, I don't want to do this, this is not what we do in church. I would ask you if you would treat this like an act of worship. I think this is very important what we're going to do as a church over the next couple of minutes, okay? We are going to take a church-wide survey just to kind of gather where we are as a church. This front page you can tear off and keep for yourself. So you can tear off that front sheet. That's my explanation. That's my word to you. You take it, read it. I'm not going to read it for you right now to take up the time. Take that off. That's, that's yours to keep. The next part, though, is the survey that I want us to fill out. You can begin to fill that out right now. Even as I explain it to you, you can go ahead and get started. We're going to ask everyone here. It doesn't matter if you're a member, a guest. If you walked in here and think, what did I walk into? We're going to ask you to fill this out. Guard your heart against pride. This is not something you're graded on. In fact, you could do really well on a survey like this and your heart be far from the Lord and not be loving, okay? So let's, let's be really upfront about that. Don't be prideful. Also, don't despair. If at any moment you think, oh man, I shouldn't check that box because Owen would be disappointed in me, you've missed the point of what we're doing, okay? No pride, no despair. We're just gonna do this. We've got some fun little jazzy worship music, uh, instrumental to play in the background for you. And we're going to do this as a church, myself included. I have not filled this out either. We're going to do it right now. We're going to take about, it should take around five to six minutes. Go for it. You guys have the music for us? Fun background? I could have sat down on the piano and played this for us, but I needed to fill this out, so... Feel free to talk to your neighbor. You know, you don't have to be perfectly silent. Don't steal your neighbor's answers. This is your, your survey. 
Hey Andy, will you turn that down just a little bit? Keep it going. I'm going to talk over, over top of it. Hey, if you're watching us on Facebook Live, there should be a link on that comment section out to the side. So if you're watching us on Facebook Live, uh, that link for the seventh grade and older uh, survey, we'll have that up there on the side. Click on that. You can submit that online. Um, keep working. We're, we've still got a couple of minutes here. We've devoted some time to this. Here in just a moment, uh, I'll, uh, I'll work us back through the questions. If there were, if you had questions about this. Parents, you've probably seen there's a simplified front and back for your kids first through sixth grade. You can either fill that out for them or you can kind of help them as they fill that out. There's several questions that are marked confidential. We'll end up removing that data from your name. So there's some of that you may say, man, I just don't want anybody to know the answer to this one. That'll get removed from your name. It'll just go in as separate data. So I want you to have another reason to tell the truth. Uh, on something like this. When you get to the middle section, there's kind of a lot of, there's a lot of different options for ministry within the congregation. If you're a guest of ours, feel free to Fill that out. You just fill out the third section that says you don't serve regularly, but you're curious about these areas. We're not going to hold you to that. We're not going. We 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 want to know though where people are interested in serving. So, even if you're a guest, you can fill out 3.6. Um, here in a couple of minutes, when you get to that back page, if you're not already there. 4.3, 4.4, there's a lot of options. I tried to divide them out to make them easier to read, but we want you to check any of those that apply. This is just about sharing the gospel with others, having relationships with others. So feel free to take your time when you get back there to that back page in a couple of minutes.
Okay, we still have about two minutes that we had allotted for this, so take your time, keep working. If you don't get finished all the way, you can finish here in a little bit. We got about two more minutes, though. Feel free to, you know, keep working through that or set it aside and you come back and pick it up. Best case scenario, I wouldn't want you filling out during the sermon, but no judgment, you know, if, if you want to. That's nothing wrong there. Hey, if you would, take your, uh, take your Bible and open to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Thank you again for, for taking the time to fill that out. I want you to know we're going to take that very seriously. We're going to uh, take that data just to look at it. We need to take seriously as pastors and leaders in the church of we say we're doing these things. We say we're trying to move this direction, trying to equip and encourage. Are those things happening? And, and this is one way to do that. You'll be able to turn that survey in as you exit every exit door, including if you go out the back doors up in the stadium seating. Every exit, when you get down to the bottom, there's going to be a, a bin or a place to put that survey in there. So just drop that in as you go by. We'll, we'll collect those here in just a little bit. You know, it's the, it's the time of year when I think back to the time that I was a little kid growing up in southwest Oklahoma, small town. We lived right next to the school there. Uh, our school, we played eight-man football. And at that time, as I was a little kid growing up into elementary and junior high, we had incredible eight-man football teams. For, for a long time, we had the best football team in, in the state for eight-man. And so as a little kid, I would sit on my porch, and I would watch the guys as they came out for two-a-day workouts. This was when you could still do two-a-day workouts. I know a lot of people don't do that anymore, but they would come out for two-a-days, and I would sit there on the porch as a little kid and watch those guys out there getting ready for football, and I would think to myself, oh man, that looks so much fun, which every naive little kid thinks, like, oh yeah, two-a-day workouts, that looks really great. Equally not realizing that nobody works as hard this time of year as the band, cheer, and dance people who outwork the football players every time when it comes to preseason workouts and, and two-a-days and things like that, but I would watch them, and the coach that we had at that time for our football program he was Mr. Fundamentals. Not fancy, nothing showy, 
The other team knew exactly what you were going to do. It just didn't matter. They couldn't stop you because you were so good at just doing the basics. He would drill the fundamentals over and over and over again at the beginning of the season. Those basics, those things that every kid, when they come to band practice or they come to football practice, they think, oh, I don't need to practice this. I already know these things except you need to practice them again. You need to go back to those basics. You need to go back to those fundamentals. And so what we're doing this morning is we're trying to do a version of that for Emmaus. Let's step back and say, what are the fundamentals? What are the basics? Before we step into a new school year, before we move ahead into some things that the Lord has for us this year that we're moving toward, let's make sure that we have some of those basics, some of those fundamentals down. And so we're going to look at a piece of scripture this morning that addresses salvation, baptism, and church membership. God's power to transform my life, the need to display that faith to others through how I live, and then the power of being gathered together as the people of God. Because we're all tempted to say, I know salvation, I know baptism, I know church membership, But it's so core, so fundamental to who we are. I would ask that you would look this morning in Acts chapter 16, maybe in a fresh way with me as we look at these verses. We're going to read verses 25 through 34 as we get started. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Verse 27 says, When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And this is the word of God for us this morning. If you go back to verse 25, let's just walk through these verses over the next few minutes together. Look back in verse 25. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, Paul and Silas are here in Philippi. They've been thrown in jail because they cost some people in the city money when Paul cast out a demon, an evil spirit from a servant girl, and they caused trouble. That's one of the good things they were about. They were troublemakers for the Lord, but this time it gets them thrown into prison, as it often does. They don't panic. They don't start a letter-writing campaign. What do they do? They worship. When you're in times of distress, when you're in times of suffering, just like Jaron preached last week, when you're in times of chaos and you worship the Lord, people pay attention to that. They see the way we respond to suffering. They see the way we respond to heartache and to situations that are outside our control And they worship. And it says the prisoners were paying attention. Verse 26. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, 
and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now what we're going to find here is here's a situation of suffering. Here's a situation where things are chaotic and out of control. The jailer is not going to know how on his own to respond, but God has placed his people in the right place, the right position on purpose. When people around you are suffering, when people around you are hurting, it's easy to look in and say, well, they're not responding the right way. Well, it's probably because they don't know how to respond in that time of pain. No one has ever showed them hope. No one's ever showed them peace. No one's ever showed them the love of Christ in that situation. When people around you are hurting, God positions his people on purpose to be able to speak hope and peace into those type of situations. And that's exactly what he's done here. Verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now, not trying to be allegorical or too metaphorical with this story, but literally the jailer's world is rocked. You see what I'm saying? Like his, The foundations are shaken of his life. His world is rocked. He has no control. This is truly, in insurance language, an act of God, something outside of his control that he can't manipulate. He has no more power, because remember, his power in his job is the bonds that are on, the, the shackles that are on these prisoners, and those are gone. He has no more power and control in his job. His world is in chaos. No hope, no power, no control. And what does he do here? He says that, that he is going to draw his sword and kill himself. Now before we go any further, let's just take this straight on exactly as it says. If you were here this morning and your life is shaken, your world is rocked, you feel like there's no hope, you have no control, everything is in chaos, you've lost all power to hold things together, there's a word there, supposing. When our world starts to fall apart, we start to put things into place that aren't really the case, but our mind goes there and our heart goes there and we think, there's no way out of this. If that's your situation this morning, do not leave this place without finding someone to talk with. We live in a world, especially when it comes to the topic of suicide, that the church cannot ignore. Like we have to take this right as it comes and say, if you need someone to talk with, you do not leave this place without finding someone to talk with. If you're watching this on Facebook Live, the volunteer who's working with Facebook Live is going to put the suicide prevention hotline number up on Facebook Live. In addition, you can comment back, and they will get with you. They, we will find somebody to talk with you, because here's a situation where it feels like everything, everything has fallen apart for this guy, and he's ready to end it all. And you say, oh, you know, that's, really, that's a really hard situation. I, that's not me. But don't miss the point of the story in Acts chapter 16. Because in a very real sense, every one of us can identify with the jailer. And the reason every one of us can identify with the jailer is because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For every one of us, there are situations in life that you cannot control on your own power. 
There are situations in your family, there are situations at your work, at your school that you cannot control on your own power. You've lost the power, you've lost the stability, life feels chaotic, and every one of us faces the reality of sin and death that we cannot overcome on our own. That's what we have to come back to. You may say, I've got my life under control. I've got every... The power of sin and the power of death are things that we cannot overcome on our own. So, So what's the hope? What's the answer? It's that the victory comes through Jesus Christ. The only one who's able to defeat the power of sin the only one who is overcoming, able to overcome the power of death, is Jesus Christ. And so when you find yourself in these situations, what does it mean to be saved? What it means to be saved is you realize, I cannot fix this on my own. I have a problem, sin, that separates me from God and the life that he's called us to live, that he's given us to live, and I can't fix it on my own. And it's not just a problem, it's that I'm dead in sin. And dead people don't raise themselves. That is a work that God does by his power. And so we say, God, it's only through your power. Let's see the way it plays out in in this story because it's such an incredibly powerful picture here in Acts chapter 16. Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Now, this is one of those other places in the story. You've got to be so tempted to to make these allegorical connections, the things that where you see a physical element and you try to draw a spiritual conclusion. So I want to be cautious, but it just jumps out at you. The jailer comes in and he calls for lights. The gospel of Jesus Christ is light coming into a dark situation. Remember, these dungeons, these prisons, they weren't well-lit facilities. And this is a dark, chaotic situation. And now light is going to come right into the middle of it. And the jailer asks this question. He says, sirs, in verse 30, what must I do to be saved? Now, we don't know here. In fact, let's, let's be honest. He's probably not referring to spiritual salvation at this point. He's not saying, what must I do to be, have my sins forgiven? He's thinking about saving his life. At the very least, he wants to save his job and, and his family as well, in addition to that. But Paul realizes that the salvation that he needs is, is something much more than that. That physical salvation, physical rescuing here is going to be a very good thing. He needs that. But he also needs salvation that comes beyond that. Just a quick note at this point. When people are hurting, and especially when people realize that life is out of control, and they need the power of God, and they reach out to you, and they speak to you about that, they may not be perfectly theologically accurate in their questions or in the way that they approach you. Just be glad that they've reached out, and you meet them right where they are. What does Paul do? do in this situation. He makes sure the, dra- the jailer is physically okay. He says, don't harm yourself. I'm, I'm here. It's all going to be okay. And then he moves them to the more important salvation that, that he needs. And so when people come to you at work, when people come to you at school, they're probably not going to have the most theologically accurate, eloquent question because life is falling apart. 
And we don't care at that point about being eloquent. We don't care at that point if all the words fit together. We just need hope. We just need help. And so he comes, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, oh, this is exactly the question that, that I've been waiting for. And so he responds in verse 31, Paul and Silas, they say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Okay, don't miss this. What does the jailer ask? He says, what must I do to be saved? He's willing to do anything at this point. He's going to make the situation right. He's going to do whatever he has to do. What does Paul say? Believe. Trust. Remember. Salvation is about the word done. D-O-N-E, not the word do. D-O. Salvation is about what Jesus has accomplished, not what we're called to accomplish or to do. And so what does he need to do to be saved? He doesn't need any more fear. He doesn't need any more guilt. He doesn't need any more shame. He has plenty of that to go around right here. And he can't do anything because his entire job has fallen apart. The jail he's in charge of is rocked by this earthquake. But he's willing to do anything. And Paul says, no, no, no. You don't have to do anything. It's been done for you. And this is really good news. All you have to do is believe and trust in Jesus Christ. He's in control of your situation. He's defeated sin, and he will forgive those sins. He's defeated death. You don't have to be afraid of death that you were so close to moments ago. Believe, trust, turn to him. And he even says on top of that, in verse 31, you will be saved, you and your household. Now, sometimes, sometimes this verse is taken to mean that if the jailer is saved, that his household will automatically be saved. And I'm going to show you here in just a moment why that's not the case. Um, not to mention, it just doesn't match up with anything else that you find anywhere in the New Testament. But what, what does that mean here in verse 31 where it says, you will be saved, you and your household? It, what it's saying is, this message of salvation in Jesus Christ is not just for you and your situation, it's for everyone everywhere. In other words, this good news that I'm telling you is not just to get you out of this bad job situation. It's good news for everyone in your household and ultimately everyone beyond. How do we know that? How do we, why am I not just trying to prop up this idea? Well, you look at the next verse, verse 32. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So it's not a story, jailer gets saved automatically because he was saved, all of his household was saved. Because it's very clear in verse 32 that they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his household. All in his household would have, would have heard Paul and Silas talking about salvation in Jesus Christ. Those who were not old enough or not able to hear and understand and respond, they wouldn't have been involved in exactly what was happening right here. But it's salvation for those who hear and are able to trust, able to have faith in Jesus. Let's make another quick connection at this point as well. Even though the jailer's salvation does not automatically lead to the salvation of his household, can, let's just take a moment and thank God for the fact that when a dad and a husband comes to faith in Jesus Christ, so many times, not automatically, but so many times you see that family transformed. 
you see that family come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's this model that God uses. Does that discount a mom's salvation? Not for a second, because moms are able to do that same thing in so many powerful ways. But when you see a dad and a husband get serious about his faith, especially when you see them saved for the first time and they begin to share that with their family and their family sees that transformation, man, it is one of the most beautiful, powerful things you will ever see. Guys, you have an opportunity Next weekend, we're hosting a men's conference here next Sunday about biblical manhood. Come, be a part of that. Think about, God, what would you want to do in my family? What would you want to do in my workplace? What would you want to do in my neighborhood? When I begin to get serious about growing in my faith, when I get serious about studying scripture, when I get serious, like Chad said earlier, about boldly sharing my faith with others. And so, guys, when you leave here, after you drop your survey in the bin, there's a table out in the lobby. You can sign up for that men's conference next week to take a step. But don't do it, please hear me, guys, because we are so guilty of this. Don't do it because you think, man, if I do this, then God will really love me. It is not about do, do this, then I'm going to be okay with God. Your standing before the Lord is not about attending a conference next week. It's not about anything you do. It's about have you trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. Your family doesn't need you to work more. They don't need you to do more. They need you to understand what it means to be made right with God. And this is an incredible picture in Acts 16 that shows us that. What happens as a response to that, though? Let's look at 33. The jailer takes them in 33. He took them the same hour of the night. He washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. He doesn't wash their wounds in order to be saved. He's saved, and he washes their wounds. We're not saved by good works. We're saved for good works. We're saved, and so that we're able to put our faith on display. It's meant to be lived visibly. It's meant to be lived publicly, that when God works in your life, it's going to overflow to the people around you. It's faith on display. And the initial way that God has given us to do that is through baptism. That when a person is baptism, they are baptismed. Yeah, that was not good. When they're baptized, they are visibly, publicly saying, I want to display my faith in Jesus Christ. Not so I can be saved, but to show you what salvation looks like. This is what God has done in my life, and this is the beginning point of me living my life for him, putting my faith into action. We know that James says in the New Testament, faith without works is dead. When you trust in Jesus Christ, he will begin to change your life. He'll begin to lead you to live that out in front of the people around you. Now, this morning, you are at Emmaus Baptist Church. So, obviously, we take baptism pretty seriously, that this is something that we're in a long line of churches who say you're not born into the church, you don't work your way into the church, you don't buy your way into the church. The only way you become a part of the people of God is through faith in Jesus Christ, and we display that, we show that through baptism. Another thing that I love about Emmaus is we're made up of people from all kinds of different backgrounds. All kinds of different denominations have come together here. And so when it comes to the topic of baptism, this creates a lot of questions. And these are questions we want to work through, and we want to talk through, and we want to come together and say, God, what are you leading us to do? And those are questions we're going to continue 
to follow together, that we want you to understand clearly why baptism through immersion is such a key thing for us when it comes to displaying your faith. But let me not worry about that this morning. Here's what I want to say this morning. All of our controversies and all of our struggles and questions, almost, let me just say, 99% of those about baptism and being involved in the church are taken away when we're talking about a situation of a person first putting their, relation, their faith in Jesus Christ. Said in less words, when someone is just saved from sin and comes to trust in Jesus Christ, they say, what do I do next? And we say, you get baptized to show people that this is what God has done in your life. When we do more baptizing because people have gotten saved versus baptizing because people are trying to work through issues from other situations, man, that is where it gets really fun. I want you to see Audrey's baptism. I want you to see Chad's baptism as people who have taken seriously what it means to follow Jesus. And I equally want us to celebrate baptism for somebody who was so far from God and God brought them to that point of salvation and they're able to say, I want people to see this. How do you do that? You display that faith through baptism. And then what happens next? Look in verse 34. Salvation you put your faith on display, baptism, he washes their wounds, he cares for them. Verse 34, then he brought them up into his house, and he set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Here's something really cool about this story, the way that it fits together. How did it begin in verse 25? It began with Paul and Silas worshiping, celebrating in prison. Where does the story end? It ends with Paul and Silas plus a new group of believers worshiping together in a home. This story shows the progression of the gospel and the progression of worship from a prison to a home, which is a beautiful picture when you think of it about what God actually does in salvation when he calls them to himself. Because when the jailer invites these people into his home, he's inviting prisoners to come in and be a part of his household. Do you know what Galatians and Colossians say about the work of Christ? They say there's no longer slave or free in Christ. It doesn't matter if you're the slave, if you're the prisoner, or you're the jailer and you're free. In Christ, we are on the same plane. And that's what's happening here in Acts 16, 34. They're gathered together into a household to eat, to fellowship, to worship, to spend time together. This fall, one of the things we're doing at Emmaus is on Sunday nights, we're changing things up just slightly on Sunday nights. We'll still have a, a class that'll meet here at the, uh, at the building at five o'clock on Sunday nights. There'll be one group, just one group that meets together. And frankly, even that group is going to function more like a home group. But we're also going to have people that are going to gather in homes around the community, around our area, because we see here in Acts 16 this picture of, I've been saved, I've been baptized, I'm putting my faith on display, God is drawing my life together with other believers, and so I'm able to live that out in a lot of different contexts. And one of the things we're going to do is for a few weeks on Sunday nights, we're just going to be able to gather together in homes. And even if you gather here at 5 o'clock on those Sunday nights, we're going to try to design it to feel like a home group, that we've gathered together to do exactly what you see happening here in Acts chapter 16. 
when you've experienced salvation, when you're beginning to put that faith on display through baptism and living out your faith, God draws our lives together with other believers. He draws us to be a part of a church. And this is true for believers all across the world. You're connected with believers across the globe and across history, but God also calls us to live that out with a local church, with a local group of believers. And so what I want you to be aware of is we love and we celebrate the work of God around the world. And we celebrate the work of God throughout history. But as God saves you, as you begin to live out that faith, he calls you to be a part of a local church where you're able to be held accountable, where you're able to use your spiritual gifts, where you're able to gather consistently to worship and be involved in missions. And so do we want to promote an institutional religion? Not for a second. Do we realize that you may have been hurt previously in church? You better believe we understand that. But that does not mean that we can be exempt from gathering together with the local body of believers. Because when we've been saved and when we're putting our faith on display, God will gather us together so we can celebrate, worship, share, grow, do what he's called us to do. If Emmaus isn't the right place for you to do that, we love to point you to other places where they're doing that really well. We could find you tons of places, dozens of places around here. If God's calling you here to Emmaus, we have a way to kind of lead you through that process. There's a membership class that comes up in September. If that's too much too soon, there's a great uh, lunch for, for guests that happens in October that you can come and be a part of. Mainly, mainly, we just want to make sure that your lives are connected with other believers, that your life is connected with other believers, that you're gathering together in those ways. Let me show you just a final slide, which is already up there, perfect. Salvation, today is the day of salvation. Here in just a minute, we're gonna sing a song, and I'm gonna call you that if you need to repent and trust in Jesus for the first time, you've tried to hold your life together, you show up to church all the time, but you know you're not a follower of Jesus, not to stand there, but to say, Today is the day of my salvation. Today is the day. What must I do to be saved? I can't do anything else. I'm exhausted. I don't know what to do. In my Trust in Jesus. Believe in him. We want to pray with you as you make that response, as you reach out to someone. If you need to be baptized, if you say, I know that what Audrey and Chad did, I've never done that. If God's calling you to be a part of a church, we want you to be able to respond to that. If you don't respond during this song, don't walk away with guilt. Walk away with the determination that says, I'm going to find somebody before I leave here. Would you pray with me? We're going to stand up. We're going to sing a final song together, and we want you to respond as God is leading you. Father, I thank you for the stories that you've given us in Scripture. Okay, there are some important things to unpack. There are some hard things to unpack. And there are times that we just need to be drawn back to those fundamentals, to salvation that comes only through Jesus. Baptism, as we begin to understand what it means to put our faith on display. Church, as we are gathered together with people, with all the difficulties that come with that, but we are gathered together in the name of Jesus, not because of any social standing, not because of anything we've done. We're gathered together because of the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. 
God, thank you for Emmaus. God, thank you for this church that means so much to me and my family. God, we want to praise you right now. We want to give ourselves to you. And God, I pray that you would work in our hearts during this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.